every little pebble of embarrassment along the way is creating the great gravel drive that is life. Good God. Hello, you are listening to Great Culture, the podcast where we talk about wine, pop culture and feminism. I'm Kim. I'm Sam. And we hope you enjoy the show. episode we are talking about the twat files by dawn french which is the book that was written to go alongside her latest one woman show but before we do that we have some not wine to talk <laughs> about this week kim you brought you brought what what is this i have brought wine but that's for later hold your horses mixing <laughs> yeah but i have brought cider specifically Cornish cider. So I have brought two bottles of cider from Cornish Orchards. One is um, their vintage and one is their golden. There's reasons for this, not least of which I know that Sam likes cider. So I thought that it would be fun and they're really pretty. But specifically, I was looking into wines that we could talk about with this episode about, about Dawn French's book, The Twat Files. And I knew that French and Sorders did a series of Country Manor wine <laughs> adverts in the 80s and 90s. But Country Manor, as far as I can tell, no longer makes wine. They make Ooh. Perry. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we could do that. But do I really want to buy what is the equivalent Sickeningly of sweet. four bottles of Perry in a box to yeah. drink in Sam's living room? on a random Wednesday. And I thought about it and I was like, well, okay, maybe. But I did. I decided to do a little bit more research. And there is a podcast called A Glass with Ollie, which is, I, I don't think it's still going, but it is a podcast that was run with Ollie, the guy, I think it's from Saturday Kitchen or Sunday Brunch, whichever one has the did, wine guy did, in it. Did, did, yeah. Yeah, in which he has had a glass of glass of wine with celebrities. They would bring a bottle of wine and have a conversation about many things. Perfect. Dawn French was on that podcast in 2017. She was the first guest to bring not wine. She brought cider. Dawn French lives in Cornwall. She grew up in the West Country and she says on this podcast that she doesn't really know that much about wine she's not super into wine but she does really like cider and she specifically likes local cider and west country cider Mm -hmm. and so i thought well what a nice nod to that to start with what she would have started with what dawn french's tipple of choice might be lovely cornish cider and then i will explain the wine later <laughs> very good i mean i am excited for some cornish cider and i've had cornish orchards orchards before all right, and it's right. Nice. do you want to go vintage or do you want to go golden any preference i'm gonna let you choose cheers cheers <laughs> so the golden cider is lightly sparkling and immensely refreshing with fruity apple tones shocker a blend of bittersweet and dessert apples give this modern style cider body and crispness. Perfect chilled on a summer evening or with a barbecue, which is definitely not how we're drinking it. <laughs> it's the vintage cider, which is matured for longer to yield an incredible depth of flavour and apparently more booze. This vintage cider boasts a honey-like richness, a medium dry finish, bright, clean and refining character for a distinctly modern take on a traditional style crafted to be sipped slowly and savoured with friends. Now that's more like the vibe. That's nice. I like that. Yeah. Um, and also, for any American listeners, I know we have a few. Um, apple cider, sparkling cider for you is like a thing that you give, like a punch that you give mm-hmm. kids. Um, here in Britain, it's boozy AF. So it'll uh, fuck you up. Don't yeah, drink it on the tube. Don't drink white lightning. Yeah. Um, and this is not white lightning, so we're all good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is this is damned tasty. Good choice. This is very nice. Yes. 
So the book that we are talking about is The Twat Files, like The X-Files, but twattier, I guess, <laughs> by Dawn French, who is, of course, a f- very famous comedian, <laughs> worst word ever, comedian, who also is an actor and does various other, and does charitable things and other things. And an author. And an author. Many, many bows to mm-hmm. her. Very short strings. Sorry, Dawn, <laughs> but you're weak. What what does being but what does being a twat mean to you? Because this is this is an account of what she kind of encapsulates as twatty stories. Mm-hmm. What is a twat? What is being a twat? I think this is such an interesting episode because this is one of our more British episodes. <laughs> twat. We are drinking cider, talking about Dawn French <laughs> and using the word twat. We're talking about the vicar of Dibley drinking cider. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not that. All of these things don't exist and aren't familiar, I'm sure, to uh, American listeners and listeners from any other country. But specifically in England, these are things where the word twat isn't super offensive. It's no. kind of... A gentle kind of, oh, you twat. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure one of my teachers said twat quite a lot. <laughs> and Twat is on the same strata as the word pissed. Yeah, yeah. As a, as a swear. Or bollocks. Or bollocks. Yeah, it's kind of like... Twat pissed bollocks. It's... yeah affectionate slightly i guess you would say lowbrow in many ways it's not a posh swear uh, bloody twat you bloody twat, twat. No. and yeah it can be used indiscriminately and very rarely is it meant with any kind of malice malice yeah and also dawn french she's famous across the world but she's to quote herself a national treasure <laughs> And and she is. The Vicar of Dibley is is beloved. Um, French and, and Saunders. French is and beloved. Saunders is is beloved. And she is very much an icon of British comedy. Yeah, for sure. And British television comedy as well. Even she has been in cinema. Mm-hmm. And she's been in Harry Potter. And so when I think of the word twat, honestly I wanted to be like, it means you're a bit of a knob. <laughs> but you're a twat, you're a knob. This is really helpful. Both of which are very British slang for genitalia. I think it means putting your foot in it, Mm. saying or doing something wrong that is, that could be not necessarily hurtful, but rub someone off, rub someone up the wrong way. You rubbing off the wrong way. (laughs) (laughs) Not your twat. Yeah. Saying something or doing something that either makes you look a little bit arrogant and big and big headed and up yourself that is done at the expense of someone else or saying or doing something that rubs someone up the wrong way again that is but isn't like isn't unrecoverable from is actually really quite mild and the kind of thing that you might forget about in yeah. a couple of weeks. Like I would, I would refer to like a work colleague as a twat. In a, <laughs> God, he was such a twat in that meeting. Right. And I also think um, sort of flogging the dead horse of a joke when someone clearly doesn't find it funny right. is twatish behaviour. Twat. Stop being a twat Dave. Like stop being a twat Dave. And it's always yeah. a Dave. It's always a Dave. It's always or a Dave. Steve or a Keith. Yeah. Yeah. That that's my interpretation. What about you? Yeah, I I think perfect summation of twattery. But yeah, I do think there's a sort of oafishness to being a twat. But I think there are mm. two sides to being a twat. I think there's being a twat where you're unaware of it and mm-hmm. you are 
an oblivious twat. Mm-hmm. And then there's twattery where you are. Well, I think this is less. Uh, this is the lesser spotted twat. If you will. <laughs> this is the. I'm being a twat because this is upsetting someone. Like, I'm intentionally doing this. And I think there's an unintentionality to being a twat. Mm-hmm. I think there's an ignorance. Whereas I think being a twat to cause harm is where you start bordering on cunt territory. I agree. Like, if you are if you are knowingly being and persistingly being a twat, yeah. then, then you're a cunt. Then you're a cunt. Yeah. Or even, I, to be honest, I think it does go twat knob cunt. Twat knob cunt. I think it goes twat, dickhead, cunt. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Fair point. Yeah. Fair point. Because knob, knob again is quite mild. Knob, knob can bit, be quite yeah. mild, but I'm more Deep likely to... Deep. 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 Yeah, I'm more likely to be like, don't be a knob. Yeah. If someone is, like, he's being a right knob. Yeah. If someone is actively trying to do harm on your way up to being a dickhead, and then the more aggressive you are, the more conscious you become. Yeah. There you go. That's the, the taxonomy of twat. So, yeah, t- twat is generally harmlessly annoying or idiotic I yeah feel. or unintentionally un- unintentionally you can still do harm i think yes. you can do harm yeah. but it has to be unintentional sure for the most part i think do you think it's the same as in, as being embarrassing or doing something that is shameful do you think they are the same thing <sighs> i don't think it's inherently the same as doing something embarrassing right. i don't think all embarrassing behaviors are twattish I do think all twatish behaviour, if you have a conscious and it's truly twatish behaviour, will probably come with some level of embarrassment. Yes. Because you should feel shame or embarrassment for having behaved in that that manner. But I don't think that all embarrassing things that happen to you make you a twat. Yeah, very fair point. Which leads me to kind of how I felt about this book, which is... As Sav mentioned, this is a series of anecdotes, of um, moments in which Dawn French feels that she has been a twat in yes. her life. And my feeling was that some of these situations were more about embarrassment yeah. than twattishness. And if anything, I would say that she was being too hard on herself. Yeah. Yeah, I agreed. What about you? Like, how? What did you think this book was going to be? What... Do you think that the contents of it say about twattishness? So I, I thought this would be, maybe foolishly, considering the author and the fact that this was written alongside, a, as we said, a, a one-woman show of the same name. And I thought this might be a bit more introspective and a bit more mm-hmm. like, I was a twat in this situation. Here's why I was a twat in this situation. Here's what I learned from that situation. Mm. Um. And it didn't have to be. I don't think this book had to be that, but that's just what I had in my head. Mm-hmm. And it was much more like, oh my God, I curtsied badly at Prince Charles or whatever, or I yeah. told him about my beaver. I thought it would be much more kind of like introspective, reflective. Musing. Musing. A case of like, oh, everyone's a twat sometimes. Yeah. Don't worry about it. And yes, there was that, but this was more like, here's a list of famous people and how I have been <laughs> tit in front of them. This is the thing. She yeah. was a tit. She not was necessarily a tit. She was a, a tit, not a twat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I sort of agree. So I chose this book for, for that reason that I have been increasingly interested in the question of failing. Is that morbid? I don't know. <laughs> I... Yeah, what's happening here? <laughs> Do you need to talk? <laughs> it's actually because I... Well, there's a number of reasons, but I started listening to the odd episode of the How to Fail podcast last mm. year. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm really interested in learning from mistakes. And I also, over the last few years, as some of our listeners might recall, moved from one job, which some people might have considered a dream job, to a more traditional job, which I love and I'm very good at, but is not necessarily what some people might consider creative or artistic or a dream job. And I questioned whether I had failed and what that meant for me. And so I I feel very strongly that letting go of things is is a way to grow. And that's one of the reasons why I was interested in the How to Fail podcast in the first place. And so I've been really interested in that question. And I've noticed that some of the most successful people that I admire take a bit of failure on the chin yeah. because they've been through it before. And actually going through it once or try twice is the thing that gets you the confidence to weather the storms. Mm. And it's the first one is the hardest. The first role that you go into, like the first failure the first in fall. a new role. Yeah, the first fall, it, it hurts the most. And actually being able to realise that you will survive that is really powerful. And, yeah. I, and so I was kind of... I was really interested in the question. I thought this would be a really good jumping off point. I knew that she'd done an episode of the How to Fail podcast. Mm -hmm. So I knew that like she had it in her to muse, as it were. (laughs) And I thought that maybe this book would be a little bit more longer stories about those. What this book is, and I enjoyed this book for what it is. And I think that most people would enjoy this book for what it is. And I, I don't want to diminish that. Is a series of anecdotes doodles. with doodles that are mostly just a series of stories. It's like being on a talk show and getting all the clips. Yeah. And the first and la- the first section and the last section do go into this musing on mm. what what she's learned. And I think we'll go into that a little bit later on about like yeah. what Dawn feels that she's learned and, and how that might be different to how other people might feel that they learn from similar mistakes. But it didn't it didn't delve into those things and I was not disappointed per se because I I didn't necessarily expect it to go super deep because there's what you might want and there's what you realistically think yeah. something is going to be but then I listened to that how to fail episode and it's a really great podcast and I really recommend it and in that she does go deeper into some of the like quite difficult things that she considers to have been failures in her life. And she talks about infertility and she talks about, mm. she talks about the, the, the death of her father. She talks about grief. And I'm not saying that you have to talk about hard things in order to discuss failure, but she, she goes into funny, funnier failures as well. She echoes some of the stories that she tells, but she did it in a way that was, I think more vulnerable mm. And this book, she does talk about being very vulnerable and really exposing that wound. But she also talks about, at key points, the important thing for her in her comedy has always been she knows that people are going to laugh at her and that her being fat or her being silly or her being not not as traditionally gorgeous as the person next to her is part of the joke, but it's okay because she's in on it Mm. and she's laughing. Mm. And the flip side is that in this, it feels like she's getting to it before someone else gets to it. Mm-hmm. She's just showing the, the joke and, and spinning it in the way that she wants to tell it rather than necessarily probing into the thing that she'd learned. And that's the one thing that I would have liked more if each anecdote, if there had been half as many anecdotes 
and each one had had the More same tone, the same tone, exactly the same storytelling, but with, from this I learned, to really stick to my own guns. Mm. I think for me, it would have resonated with me a little bit more. Yeah. But I still really enjoyed it, so. Yeah. Yeah, very very well. Well, did you enjoy it? As Did you enjoy it as much as you expected to, or did you enjoy it more? It's hard to say. I enjoyed the second half of it more, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure why, beyond the, the first half of it, because it is so quick to read, and you're getting so much information and so much of that is cringe. And yes. we know I don't like you cringe. You don't like cringe, no. And it was going a lot faster than I thought it would. And I was still kind of like finding my footing yeah. on what it was going to be. It made me very tense. Okay. <laughs> the comedy book made you tense. Yeah. 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 And I think that like when I took a step away from it, and then came back to it yesterday. Mm. I enjoyed it much more. I had a lovely time finishing it yesterday. Nice. So, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I did enjoy reading it, but I did have to overcome my feeling of cringe. What about you? Yeah, it was not... I mean, we've discussed various points of why it was not necessarily exactly what we expected. I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. Mm. being that Dawn French is as she has said and you have said earlier on this show a national <laughs> and I do I do enjoy French and Saunders I do Vicar of Dibley as anyone who was in Britain in the 90s has or most people have fond memories of that show and it's one that for the most part continues to be less problematic than some other sitcoms from the 90s I think mm. uh, on rewatch although there are moments obviously um so yeah, very fond associations with Dawn French. What I struggled with was the name dropping. <laughs> I found it... I understand the kind of relatability of... I think, it, particularly when you're a celebrity, if you can mention other celebrities that people might know, then it gives you a point of access rather than my friend Kevin, who lives down the road. Yeah. Whereas if you're like, oh, Nigel Havers, or oh, Camilla, or <laughs> Queen Camilla, or whatever... It's people. It's someone that people know, and it gives. It gives picture an it. In. Yeah, it gives an end to the story, and it also kind of is is designed to make you share in the yuck yuck ha ha. Mm. Oh, what a silly boob I am! But there was just so much of it, mm-hmm. and I could only deal with so much. Oh, lovely Ian McKellen. Oh, you everyone's know, lovely. Everyone's lovely. Everyone's a visionary or whatever. Yeah, and I found that a little bit too lovey. And she is a bit of a love, and I get that. But it, three hundred pages of it, I was like. Yeah. I yeah, I think that's fair. And I have to say that also contributed to some of my unease because I thought that she did I, I enjoyed it. I thought she did it very well. It was like yeah. I felt like she was sat on Graham Norton's couch and it yes. was great. Yes, very much that. But there were two stories and I just kind of felt like and this maybe is it kind of alludes to what you were saying before of Dawn is a woman of a certain age. She's been in the public eye for a long time. Mm-hmm. She has different experiences and different allegions. And I don't think that she's like behind the times or backwards in her thinking no. or anything. But I do think that maybe things roll off her back in a way that they don't actually roll off ours. Yeah. And so there is a story about Johnny Depp and there's a story about J.K. Rowling. Mm-hmm. And 
I found both of those stories hard to read. In light of recent In light events. of recent events. And especially because this is a very recent book. And yeah. it would have been very easy to remove them. And there was... But also there was no kind of... I don't even think you necessarily need to remove them. Because the context of meeting Donnie Depp in 1999... Mm-hmm. Or whenever the sketch that she was talking about was filmed. And the context of meeting Johnny Depp now are very different things. All it would have taken was context. Yes, I met him then. I thought he was At the time. An acknowledgement of current context. Yeah, a footnote for current context. Yeah. And I think that was the issue. And that was also the point in which I noticed a fawning. Yeah. There's fight, flight, freeze, or fawn as like stress. A trauma responses. Trauma responses. Dawn Frenches feels like fawn. Yes. <laughs> and so I think that perhaps when faced with some of these more difficult conversations, she might want to focus on the good. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to look mm. at the positive mm-hmm. side of things. But I just feel like someone could have edited that. Yeah. Someone could have said Dawn. I know that you... And even what if she didn't feel like she needed to, if she really still loves JK and Johnny Depp, that's her prerogative and she can do what she wants. But I was surprised by that. I was surprised by the inclusion of those stories considering the context. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also because they weren't... Particularly the Johnny Depp one didn't feel very pertinent to the concept of being a twat. Mm-hmm. It was just that she was attracted to him and he was polite and... How dare she be attracted to him as a fat woman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I felt that story yeah. played. Which and I think not... that leads... That's that's the other thing about yeah. Dawn's interpretation of what being a twat is sometimes was things were embarrassing for her or she was in an embarrassing situation or she... The flip side is that she put up perfectly reasonable boundaries and behaved in a perfectly reasonable way, mm-hmm. but has been made to feel like that is an unacceptable behaviour. Mm-hmm. Which I think also might be a slight generational thing. And again, I don't Possibly. think that she's behind the times. But I she just is think also that, double our age. Yeah, she is, she is, she is raised with other values that we don't have. Yeah. And, you know, there were, there were specific moments that I can think of, but that... that I didn't always feel like her experiences with being a twat were how we described being a twat earlier. And it kind of leads into this thing that I want to talk about, which is that I feel that for Dawn, as I've just said, setting a boundary felt like being a twat. Like, what is the difference between standing your ground in a way that might rub some up the wrong way (laughs) or being a twat? And being like obstinate, because I think obstinate is a twatish behaviour. Yes, stubbornness, obst- obstinacy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a really hard line to draw, but especially if you are a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And as you've mentioned, obviously her sort of for dawn's fawn response. Mm-hmm. I think the difference is when you make no effort to acknowledge the feelings of the other people who's with whom you are trying to set the boundary, or with mm-hmm. whom you are trying to, I don't know counter argue whatever mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you have to kowtow to them but there's a difference between saying no i'm not doing that i'm not doing that i'm not doing that i'm just saying like i don't feel comfortable with this mm-hmm. this is why um i think it's yeah mm-hmm. i think it's a sort of a- explanation i think it's a 
um, there's a difference between a tantrum, mm. isn't there? And um, I am not comfortable with doing that. Yeah. See, I think that I think it's the consideration, not the explanation. I don't think yeah. you owe an explanation. No. no is a complete sentence, but I think that you need to have considered it. Yes. You need to you need to be reacting and setting that boundary understanding that you are setting a boundary, not setting a reaction. But then I th- like I actually think all of this, all of this is too reductive. I think that we maybe I think the I think the difference between setting a boundary and being a twat is so wide. Mm. And this is the, what we're talking about is the difference between those things. We are not talking about the right way to set a boundary. Because I think there are a lot of right ways yeah. to set a boundary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I also and think that sometimes yeah. it's okay to set a boundary and be a twat. Yeah, true. Because true. sometimes your boundary is more important than someone else's feelings. But in the context of this book and some of the behaviours that Dawn talks about, the one that I'm thinking of particularly is what she refers to as the Anastasia moment, in which she felt that a line had been crossed as to regard as to her self-worth, her joy in her job, her sort of creative representation. And she made a decision that this would be the last series of French Disorders, which was a decision that directly impacted jennifer saunders her, her comedy partner and she did not necessarily discuss that yeah. she knew that jennifer would be hurt by that yeah but she says jennifer in her way understood she didn't she didn't necessarily understand but she complied like she yeah. allowed it to happen whatever and i i read that and i was like i don't think you were a twat at all I think you were put in a horrible situation that made you feel terrible and you set a perfectly reasonable boundary that sounded like it was already where that maybe was going anyway. Yeah. The thing is, in what we're saying about boundary setting and stuff, did she speak to Jennifer about, did she explain to Jennifer about why it was she felt that way? No. Did she consider Jennifer's feelings? I don't think she thinks she did at the time. So, but, it was the, yeah. but I still don't think that she was twatish. So I, that's a good point. I don't know. I think that people should be allowed to set boundaries. And I think that sometimes boundaries need to be set. Yep. No, no is a full sentence. Sometimes boundaries need to hurt, to hurt someone else, basically. And sometimes you need to set a healthy boundary and, and people will call you a twat. I think there were various points in this uh, specifically related to boundary setting or whatever there were there were moments when i was reading this where i was like this is this is not you being a twat this is you having an issue with your mental health this is and, and obviously i'm not i'm not a psychologist yeah I, i'm not diagnosed i'm not, not therapist qualified we're not psychologists yeah or do anything however recognizing certain thought patterns and behaviors that i know i have spoken to mental health pre- professionals about mm-hmm. in what she was saying and mm-hmm. then her being like oh i was a twat i'm like uh, I don't think that's what it would be. I don't think you're a twat. I think you were grieving. I don't think you're a twat. I think you were overwrought. I don't think you were a twat. I think you I have think anxiety. You, I yeah. Don't think, yeah. I think you were overstimulated. I think you were overwhelmed. I think you were all of these other things. Maybe they're just terms and, for being a twat. And, I don't well, think I think sometimes yeah. those behaviours and, and being a twat are not mutually exclusive. Mm. You and I have talked about mm. this in our 
in our private life a lot, which is that someone can be having a hard time and still be being a dick to you. Yeah. And you can still be done with that shit, which is completely fine. But I don't think that... I don't think that that necessarily automatically is the case. And I think the difference between our interpretation of a twat and of the boundaries between boundaries and mental health and twatishness is more gentle. Whereas I think Dawn French's view is if I have in any way embarrassed or inconvenienced someone else, Mm. then I am a twat. Mm. And I don't think that we feel that that is true. Yeah, I think that's a really solid way of putting it. To sum it up, I think that she was too hard on herself. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely agreed. Um, yeah. I, this book could have been half the length of her actually being a twat, I think. Mm-hmm. It, it, not even half. Mm-hmm. I think. So we're going to stop for a small break. How will we blow our noses significantly because we're both 80% snot at this point? <laughs> so, we again have the Cornish Orchards ciders in various formats. I have the vintage cider. Kim, you have the golden cider. I do. How are you finding it? What would you. Let, let's do a quick rating now before we forget and move on to wine. Excellent. I. This is really lovely and drinkable. And I've got to say, like, it hasn't been super chilled and it's still been really lovely and drinkable. Yeah. And it's really got a lovely burst of flavour, which some ciders do end up tasting a little bit watery, especially especially when you get them from a supermarket. Yeah. So I'm going to give this a, a solid four. Yeah. Dare I say a four apples? Because it's technically four not apples. grapes. Apple, yeah, great. Excellent choice. I'm on the vintage cider, which basically just means older and stronger. <laughs> I would, would happily have this again. In fact, I'll probably have several many of these again. Mm-hmm. Just as well, we only have the one tonight, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, great choice. I'm going to go 4.5. I think. Nice. Nice. Do we think Dawn French would like this cider? Yes. I think so too. Absolutely. I think we could have a, a, a little Cornish orchard. I think it would there. make her wee herself though. Well, that's us on the ciders. Join us after the break where we will crack open Super Secret Special Second Half Wine. Hey! See you in a bit. Bye. So we are back after our wee and boo switch break to talk some more about The Twat Files by Dawn French. Kim, you have picked up another bottle, which is definitely not 7.5% cider, (laughs) uh, and looks remarkably like red wine. Would you like to tell our lovely listeners why we have a second booze, why it is now wine, and why you chose it? Yes, I'd love to. So in continuation of my exploration of wines that we could talk about with Don French, as mentioned, I'd been listening to that podcast, Have a Glass with Ollie or whatever it's called. And no shade, I just can't remember. Had cider. And they had the cider and they had a lovely conversation and it was lovely. And then at the end of which, Ollie gifted Dawn with a bottle of Cote d'Arone and said, basically, if you don't really know much about wine find and you kind of like red wine and you want to have a wine that you can grab find a bottle of Cote d'Arone at the time that they recorded it was a particularly good season for Cote d'Arone and Cote d'Arone has like really good seasons and then slightly less good seasons but the Cote d'Arone is easy to find a mid-range and the mid-range ones are very good because it's a very popular and well-established wine so I bought a mid-range Cote d'Arone hey Nice. Off of Sainsbury's. Nice. So this is the Terre de Galettes, Cote d'Arone 2022, product of France, Shocker, by Gabrielle Meffre. Pardon? Meffre? Oui. 
Where? So, quality and sustainable development, a state of mind. Gabriel Meffrey is the first winery in the Rhone Valley to achieve the highest standard, exemplary level, in social responsibility and sustainable development. That's pretty cool. That is quite cool. This reward reflects the long-term commitment of our winery towards the implementation of social, environmental and ethical practices, both internally and amongst all its partners. So I feel like this is actually also something that... Dawn French would back this wine. Yes. yes and I back this yes. wine. Crafted with black Grenache and Syrah, this round Cote d'Arene wine offers intense aromas of ripe red berries and spices, delicious on its own, or with grilled meat, sausages, pizza, or pasta dishes. Best served between 13 degrees and 15 degrees. Uh, did you dipstick it to find out the temperature? I'm sure it'll be fine. Always. Always. Also worth noting, it specifically says that this is vegan friendly. Great. So, where well, Alex were here. Were she here? Were she here? she could enjoy this but i i just think that this sounds i mean it does sound like a very good kind of all-rounder yeah so i thought that this would be a nice great shout we haven't had a great alternative quite a while actually i don't think so yeah and it's definitely not one that i've seen us had before it's not one that i immediately gravitate to cheers that's nice Mm. very like a crisp red Mm, it is crisp flavor i'm getting is pleasant yeah so great there we go so so this book talks a lot about the different levels of twattery, from intentional twattery, unintentional twattery, boundary-setting twattery, name-dropping twattery. I'm going to stop saying twattery now because I I feel like I'm stuck on a loop. Um, <laughs> but what do you think this book says about embarrassment and failure and how to deal with it as an adult human woman? <laughs> It's an excellent question. Contrary to, obviously, the conversation that we've had so far where I've sort of talked about how this book hasn't gone deep enough for me in in Mm -hmm. my exploration of failure, Dawn French's introduction and epilogue, I guess, outro, outro outroduction, and... Summation. Yes, and some some of the moments to reflection that she does actually include in the body of the text does really focus in on failure and how you learn from it mm-hmm. and in particular there were there are a couple of quotes that i kind of saved one being the moments where i've made mistakes misunderstood stuff and messed up were key that's where my tinging clear learning happened and it is always mm-hmm. has been where i laugh the most who doesn't want that and then that's in the introduction and then in the outro I am the idiot who made all those errors, but more importantly, I'm also the one who wrangled them into tales. I retold myself and others for fun, and I'm the one who learned from them. I hope. That is the whole point of blunders, to learn, to feel their sting, to move on from. And I think that what I wanted was more learning, but what I was really interested in is that for Dawn, whose chosen profession, her raison d'etre has been the buoying up of other people mm. that that she what she learned is to turn them into an entertainment and i think the core value of you need to learn from them but also you need to laugh at them that's not a bad thing mm. i think some of us might feel that there's i maybe too much laughing and not enough learning in this particular in some of the stories in this but i think that what this book tries to say about failure and embarrassment which is that it's okay to be embarrassed if you're on the joke it's okay to have been embarrassed 
and it's okay to laugh at yourself and if mm. you laugh at yourself you're going to feel a lot better about it yeah and actually that every little pebble of embarrassment along the way is creating the great gravel drive that is life good god <laughs> i don't know where that came from that's the side of talking the pebble dashed front that is life. <laughs> yeah but the like that this book is trying to make you appreciate those things and laugh at them yeah in a world in which in a world in a world in which increasingly every action is is recorded in some way or another mm. and cancellation is such a big thing it is refreshing and it is lovely that this book i think really tells you to embrace it and that failure is the thing that made life rich and funny and at the very least can give you an offer of entertainment mm. i wanted more learning but if i got from this entertainment and if what Dawn French wanted to give to us was entertainment, then she succeeded in this. Mm-hmm. What about you? What do you think it says about failure and embarrassment? I think it's an inter- it's a really interesting book, not necessarily because of the plumbing the depths of twattery in terms of the psychological side or whatever, but in the way in which she defines being a twat and the way that she tells the stories, it's... It's like we are being invited in on the joke. But for someone who's been a comedian for their entire career, I don't feel like it was particularly groundbreaking Mm. to create a book in which you're like, oh, I was a goon. I was an idiot in this situation. Mm. And I know that that, I completely appreciate that there's a big difference between between reality and comedic persona. I know that this is... There's Dawn French, as people know her, national treasure. And then there's (laughs) Dawn French, the person who, who would struggle with everything else and i felt like this was still very focused on dawn french the national treasure that a lot of the stories in this were related as we said to celebrity a lot of them were related to projects that she Mm. that happened in the public eye there were a few that were personal but not very many Mm. and it made it very hard for me to kind of pull out any key learnings from this about about real failure mm. there was no i was chronically in debt there was mm. no i not not, not, that, not that any of this is a failure by the way but this is these are things that people often perceive as being a failing on on their part like and there was nothing about um the ending of her, of her marriage to mm. lenny henry there was nothing about again and I, even I the like, even the smaller but more universal kind of failures so like yeah the time that I came home from the shop and I meant to buy milk and I didn't buy milk. Like, that's really yeah. minor, but there wasn't that. Exactly. There wasn't... There wasn't real... Not real world, but there wasn't universal world things. Uh, it was it was wholly in the entertainment industry. Exactly. So I found it hard to really dig deep into what this meant, what this was saying about failure, what this was saying about embarrassment. Because it was such a kind of myopic, maybe that's unfair, but it was a very specific viewpoint on on quite a lot of these situations. And it would be the same as you writing a book about like HR failings or me writing a book about marketing failings or something like that, where you know that an, uh, there will be a certain number of people who feel validated and, mm. and, and feel accepted. But it, it was a very professional twattery book. Yeah, I yeah, that's a really good point. And it was... In many ways, a bit fluffy. It's curated. It's curated. Yeah, very much. Curated, 
it felt like it felt to me like sitting with a friend who is just telling you funny stories about their celebrity friends. I also think that might be a, an issue with format. I don't know if this is a format that lends itself well to a written to a book, essentially, potentially an audio book. Mm. The way that we read it, maybe not, because this feels much more conversational. This feels much more anecdotal, like. As we just, as you said a couple of times, listening to your friend in the pub telling stories, mm-hmm. it's a very mm. different setup. But I, I completely agree that with this idea of, of curation, and even though you can hear, like reading this, you can hear her, mm. but hearing three hundred, reading three hundred pages of stories about things that she did, it's not a biography. She has written biography. She's written various things about, about her life. This is not that. This is a selective memoir around a certain theme and it doesn't I feel like it does her a disservice in this format mm. and maybe a live show would be different mm. but you mentioned something there about does this demonstrate enough vulnerability does it does it give us enough of an insight for these stories does it give us that hook of relatability I guess mm-hmm. especially when as we've said there are so many stories about celebrities blah 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 not all of us have been in a <laughs> a beloved comedy duo or a sitcom that ran for years and years and years mm. and so there is an element of distance as you said what do you think about how embarrassing stories like the ones that are shared in this book how do you think they serve to make us more relatable as human beings and and to bring us closer together versus how they are used as an element of control mm. in the way our stories are told and as a defence mechanism. Mm. A goodly question. Good, because it felt like jargon. <laughs> I think that in many ways it, defend- it depends on the telling. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the the flaws of this book is that you can feel like you know Dawn French very well. Mm. You can feel very close to her. Because she feels familiar. Yeah, but partially in a way that this serves to remind you that she's trying to control the narrative here. That yeah. she Because they're all condensed in one go, and because ordinarily you would not hear these stories all condensed in one go, no. written in a written format, it, it crosses the line from vulnerability to control of mm. the narrative like now's my time to share this with you and that's not dawn french's intention and i think that i don't think that it's necessarily fair to hold this book to a standard that it wasn't trying to meet yes yeah however i think that these kinds of stories this kind of vulnerability they can really help get to know someone and get to understand someone and to make someone feel like they are trusted mm-hmm. and trustable. Mm-hmm. And I, I I use our friendship in this because when we first met, I don't think you liked me very much. I don't like anyone. Very much. <laughs> um, and that's because I know that when I am first met by many people, I come off as a uh, snob. Actually, um, to be fair, in fact, all of my best friends... I hated. Oh no, that's just the rule. But yes, no. Yeah, no. Dawn French talks about this. Yeah, like it's very much the rule. (laughs) But I think that in getting to know each other and kind of seeing a little bit of that flattery, that embarrassment, that where we've made mistakes and we're not all rosy sunshine, and I'm not some perfect specimen of privilege and very rude that you're not. (laughs) 
<sighs> so rude. And and likewise, you're not the ultimate scary manager boss lady. She is. Still. <laughs> the alpha. But I think like in sharing those vulnerabilities in, in the time that we've got to know each other, we have we have grown together. And it's yeah. not that's not the only thing no. that's forged our friendship. But it is the more that we have done that, the more that we have been comfortable being vulnerable around each other in many other ways and being twats and forgiven each other and understood the level of what the line between when you're being a twat and when you're being a dick twat dickhead cunt yeah Yeah. and i think that's the thing like these these stories of like oh my god i was such a twat oh my god you were such a twat they set that line of okay so this is what your acceptable and unacceptable behavior is and this is how we are kindred spirits and this is where I know that I can take it with you and this is how I know that I can now share something with you. Yeah. So I think that they are really important. I think where the point where it crosses into control is when you are... When it feels like someone's doing a skit. Mm. And I think about this... When it feels rehearsed. When it feels rehearsed. Yeah. When it feels excessive. And I think from an internal perspective when you're sharing something with someone who you're never going to meet again or you might meet again once or twice but you've only just met and it's not it doesn't serve anything it's not that it hasn't come up in conversation it's not relevant you're just kind of like getting there first and i do this so i know (laughs) where it's like i will very often make jokes about my accent or beat you to the jokes about the money, daddy's money or something, because I know, I know how I sound. Daddy's an oil. Yeah. Cultured. I, yeah. I, I get it. But I think that that's quite twatish. And I think that's a form of defence mechanism. Mm. Because that's something that you've been rejected, I have been rejected about before. So um, you preempt it, so you so find I preempt a way it. to control it, because you know you can't actually control the situation. Yeah. I can't change yeah. Yeah. the, the yeah. story, I can't change the narrative. I'm but I can myself from the narrative. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But I can get there first. I can make the yeah. joke before you do, so you know I'm cool with making the joke. Yeah. And that is the defence mechanism. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes where this book strays into, mm-hmm. which I think in Dawn French's case is spending 30 40 years in the limelight and yeah and um, it's a very similar thing to joe brand does as well Mm -hmm. um, uh, where where, like her first joke is always like i look like a sea witch i'm exactly ugly fat whatever because those jokes have been made endless times and it's a uh, it it is a defense mechanism and it's a and it's a humor comes from like there was a, a big thing when I was doing stand up. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, so it's a big thing that stand ups come out with. Yeah, um, as to lead with because it controls the situation. It controls the way the audience sees you. Yeah, because you come out and you're addressing it immediately, and you have you have the grasp of. Yeah, that. it's an anxiety. It's it's yeah. many things, but I think that that is the line. I think that that is the. It's very easy to flip from one to the other, and I think the difference is, the context of the telling. Yeah. Absolutely. What about you? Any any further thoughts on that? Yeah. So I I I think we did talk about this on our Women in Comedy episode mm. many many moons ago. This Definitely. idea of if you can beat someone to the punch, and it's the same. It is exactly the same thing as when you're dealing with a bully at mm. school, and you're told laugh it off, mm. find a find an in and laugh with them. Mm-hmm. It's that exact mechanism. And mm-hmm. when you are a twat, when you have been a twat the very easy thing to do is to say well not the very easy that's not fair actually 
the kind of accepted thing to do, I suppose, is to be like, Haha, I was such a knob, blah, mm. blah, 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 blah. And, and then to control that, that narrative. Control the ribbing. Control the <laughs> ribbed for your pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yes, but no, to control that. Rather that, and that is much easier thing to do than to say, I'm really sorry. Mm-hmm. Or to say, if you're a twat in a way that affects other people, or to kind of really deal with what it's with what that baby means. But I, I do think comedy acts as comedy in itself is an inherent defense mechanism mm-hmm. for people who perpetrate comedic leanings and i think this is an example it's old enough established enough as a comedic person to not need it mm-hmm. so that's why i do think this book is meant as a reassurance rather mm-hmm. than a reassurance for other people rather than a control for her yeah so, it's authentically yeah. offered if not yes if not by us critical knobs received in the same way that i imagine that it's received by a lot of other people yeah so it was yeah a very circuitous route to say it can be taken one of one of two ways but i think this book was made in good faith and yeah it's a very circuitous route to say we're on the fucking fence my friends it's neither a nor b um with all that said what's your twat story (laughs) if you had to give give a twat anecdote what's your twat twat anecdote i'm gonna say that again one of the twat anecdotes that sticks with me, and this is more, this is more of the embarrassment line mm. through line rather than me being an actual dickhead, that has always stuck with me, and I always cringe about when I think about, cringe about when I think about, is that I once, oh, this is so lame now that I'm telling it, but I once ran into a music lesson thinking I was late, um. The music lesson in question had, or the music class I was in question had a boy that I really fancied in it. Classic. Because of course. Um, and I ran in and I, but I didn't know he was there because I thought it was a different lesson. Mm-hmm. And I went, I'm so sorry I'm late. Turns out it was the lesson before and I just bombed in at the mm. end of the lesson and been like, I'm so sorry I'm late. Sat next to this boy and been like, and then told oh no that's the teacher fucking went oh no that's fine Sam don't worry and then everyone else left and I was sat there and that oh, was oh bless you oh I was like 11 oh god ah. I think oh that's that's harsh yeah so that's one that every so often when I'm like I need humbling I'm like I remember that time oh also that same boy I asked to dance at the school disco and he told me I had a face like this for our listeners, I Sam just did a smush face. Made a smushy book. Fuck you if you're listening. <laughs> what a name. Yeah. What's your what's a what's a twat moment for you? So mine is back in the day of 2000, 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. Picture it. Side fringes mm-hmm. and just like MySpace galore. God, it was it was yeah, it's just we all had digital cameras. Mm-hmm. I Eyebrows can see the pain in your eyes. Were non-existent. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and we were all. I was eighteen. Performatively awkward. Classic. So, I was at university, and it was. This was the time of your mum jokes. Okay. I know it. I know. You the know, story. The story. I know the story. Yeah. And it it still cringes. It still makes me cringe to this mm. day, because this person is still a very dear friend to me to this day, mm. and. In that moment, however unintentionally, I probably caused him pain, even though we laugh about it now. But it was the era of your mum jokes. I was 
cool, obviously super cool, and one of the guys, and uh, made a lot of you. The, the automatic response the to any question yeah. was your mum. Yeah. Um, and so my friend uh, at university, his mother had died uh, very recently mm. from a long battle with cancer. And I don't even remember now what the question was. But he asked me some kind of question. Some kind of, like, why are you doing that? Where are you going? Who are you seeing? Blah, blah. And it was an automatic response. Just went, your mum. And then his face dropped. And my face dropped. And I was just like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. This this, this, This friend's mother had recently died and i felt awful and i still feel awful to this day and i mean i was at this boy's wedding recently and i was still thinking about it being like i can't believe i fucking did that anyway cheers your mum yeah yeah Uh, and it and i think the i think the reason in particular that it bothers me so much is because it's not a good joke for a start. No, and it was a default fucking 17 It was a joke. default 17-year-old yeah. wanting to be accepted and cool yeah. joke that I then didn't... Then to your granddad in my... Yeah, so, but then, yeah. like, the, yeah. even at the time... Wasn't funny! Wasn't funny, and I didn't think it was funny. No. Like, I didn't think no. your mum jokes were funny. I don't like crass stuff. Like, I don't know why I was trying to be that person. And it becomes such a bloody unironic thing that I, however briefly, how, however cool he was about it, sent a little dart of pain in someone's heart. And that is awful. And someone who I deeply care about. Yeah. So not my favourite. Not my favourite. But it did teach me a little bit to control my automatic responses. Not always, but a little bit. Knew your mum. I'm pretty sure I stopped making your mum jokes. So, yeah. if anything, it cured me of that. Well, thank God, because we don't need them anymore. No. 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 <laughs> well, cheers to being a twat. Again. Cheers to being a twat. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode. But before we go, we've already rated our cider tonight. We have to rate our Cote de Rhone wine, which again is, what is it? A Terres de Galette's Cote de Rhone <laughs> off of 2022. So, Kim, thoughts, feelings, emotions? Yeah, very quaffable. Quite spicy. It's got it's got it's yeah. got a good spice in it. A little bit of pepper in there. Yeah, but so this wine was seven pounds fifty. Decent price. Not something that I'd ordinarily drink, but one that I would happily drink again. Mm-hmm. Fits the fucking bill. I would I would add this to my rotation. And I never really thought that I'd say that about a seven pound fifty coat de robe from Sainsbury's. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say French wine. <laughs> And it's but, no shade on French wine, but French wine has a particular dryness to it that I don't always enjoy. I don't love French wine. But this is a really nice... I'm going to give it a four. Ooh, high rating so far. So four on the side. Apparently I'm feeling generous. Yes. Might be the cold. <laughs> Maybe it's because we can't actually taste or feel <laughs> things properly. Um, fair enough. So, yeah, no, I, I, I have really enjoyed this much more than I thought I would. I, I'm going to go for a... 3.5. Yeah, 3.5. 3.5. Which um, is very good. Very good. Very delicious. I've and what about the Twat Files the twat by files. Dawn French? We are specifically talking about the book, not any other like iteration of this, but she has also done the live. 
stand up. Yes, because she's done her one woman live show. I I liked, but I don't know if I want a series of loose anecdotes in book form. Mm -hmm. I feel like we have many other formats in which that is to be better delivered. A live show, for example, would be much better. And so, as we've discussed, I don't think there was enough depth or enough insight behind the stories themselves. I'm going to give it a three. I thought Mm -hmm. the humour was great. There were some fantastic doodles in the book as well. Mm. And I think there was the edge of insight Mm. that never quite tipped over into full insight. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, three from me. How about you? I think I agree. I think that... I said earlier, I don't really want to rate this book against what I thought it would be. Mm. I want to give it what it was. Mm. And this book was entertaining and enjoyable to read. Very quick. Got a strong sense of Dawn French. Mm -hmm. Had some thought-provoking moments. And gave me a glimpse into a world that is not mine. And made me, did make me feel better about some of my embarrassing stories, including my most recent one. Which... Listeners, I decked it. Mm, I absolutely decked it. Stacked. Like I proper stacked it and had to go to minor injuries unit the next day because I thought I'd broken my hand. I hadn't. But it made me feel a lot better about that whilst I was reading it with my poor crippled hand. (laughs) So every cloud, if you you picked this book up, you're going to get the enjoyment out of it. I think 90% of people are not picking it up for the reason that we picked it up. No. So... I say three because three is my bar for enjoyed it, would recommend it to the right person. Yeah. Great. But didn't make me cry. Didn't wouldn't stand re-read. out. Wouldn't reread. It's not a bad rating. It's actually a good rating. I think this is a solid, enjoyable bad. gift book three. And I am glad that I read it, I have to say, because God, it was nice to read something nice. <laughs> So yeah. we've rated the booze higher than the book this week. That's the way it goes sometimes. Dawn French's taste in... Insider. Insider and wine is better than her taste in twattery. Who knew? Who the fuck knew? But still, a good feel-good A feel-good. A feel-good week. So, thank you for listening. Don't forget we'll be back in two weeks' time with a brand new episode for you. In the meantime, you can check us out on social media. We are on Twitter at Great Culture Pod. We are on Instagram at Great Culture Podcast. We also have a website, which is not run by Elon Musk, which is greatculturepodcast.co.uk where you can find our show notes and links to the wine and the cider that we've had this week. So, thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. Take care. Bye-bye now.